Welcome to another edition of the Good Confessions podcast. Thanks for tuning in as three friends and pastors go through the Westminster Confession of Faith. My name is John Cruz. I serve as a minister in Kalamazoo, Michigan of Community Presbyterian Church. I'm joined with my buddy Shane Bennett, who serves up the road in Grand Rapids at Reformation. Hi, Shane. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. That's so nice to be. How are you doing? I'm doing well myself. Good. And uh, Andrew Miller is with us also from Fredericksburg, Virginia. How's it going, Andrew? Oh, hashtag blessed. <laughs> and the three of us hopefully will be all in Fredericksburg in a week's time or about a week and a half or so. So um, we'll be all hanging out at your new place. We're looking forward to it. Yeah, looking forward to being in one place. We should record a podcast. Yeah, don't uh, don't push your luck. Or not. Today we're talking about the covenant still, and we're looking at the covenant as it is um, expressed or administered in the words of the confession, administered uh, in the time of the old uh, covenant and the new covenant. Um, this The covenant of grace, that is, um, how it was administered under the old and the new covenant. So um, to get started, let me read section five of chapter seven. This covenant, that is the covenant of grace, was differently administered in the time of the law and in the time of the gospel. Under the law, it was administered by promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the paschal lamb, and other types and ordinances delivered to the people of the Jews, all for signifying Christ to come, which were for that time sufficient and efficacious through the operation of the Spirit to instruct and build up the elect in faith in the promised Messiah by whom they had full remission of sins and eternal salvation. And this is called the Old Testament. There's a lot to unpack there. I, I really appreciate this, these two sections we're looking at now, five and six. Mm. Um, but maybe to, to, to kick off our, our discussion, Andrew, you can kind of, um, dive into this distinction of law and gospel for us when it says under the law and then under the gospel. What, what's it, what are we talking about here? What, what kind of epochs are we to have in mind? This is talking about redemptive history, looking back and, and, you know, we talk about the divisions between the Old Testament, the New Testament, um, the time of promises, the promises of Christ to come, the Messiah, the, the snake crusher. And then you have the time of fulfillment when Christ comes, uh, the time recorded in the New Testament. And, uh, that's what it's getting at here. This, this shift in time of, of promise to fulfillment. But it's saying that there's a union there. There's some discontinuity, but there's a great continuity. And that's what this section is getting at, that there's always one people of God. There was always one way of salvation through faith in Christ and one Savior, one plan of redemption. It wasn't, as the dispensationals put it, uh, you have God had one plan for one people for Israel and then another plan for the church. This is saying it's all one plan in history and yet we do see development, progression in that plan. Uh, Andrew, that was, yeah, a really helpful um, overview there. You talked about the discontinuities and the continuities. So what are some, Shane, what are some of the ways in which we see discontinuity or maybe differences better between law and gospel? And then after that, I want to look at um, how, what Section 5 says actually about the things that are the same under both. So what are some differences? What are some similarities? Well, I think if if you consider even just the language of of this section uh, and the time period that they're addressing, um, you know, 
when he's talking about under the law, they're specifically referencing under the law of Moses, right? And and that oriented a majority of the Old Testament. You can't help but read uh, the prophets and hear the Old Testament law speak into it, how whenever Israel would fail, uh, the prophets would come as covenant lawyers and say, you're, you're failing to keep the, uh, the this law that is set before you. And it was to condemn them, and at the same time, it was to point them to Christ and their need of a Savior, just as it talks about uh, the the different uh, signs or the different um, promises that are administered through uh, the Paschal Lamb or the Passover, the picture that's being presented there, the sacrificial system uh, that pointed to their need for a Savior, uh, all of these types and shadows. I guess that might be the best way to say uh, the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that the Old Testament uh, shows us our need of Christ in shadowy form, and the New Testament reveals it fully. It's like the the, the veil is pulled back, and now you see clearly uh, what was there all along. Or or Augustine, and I always get his sentence confused, but he would Augustine referred to it in the way of saying that the uh, new is in the old concealed, and the new or the old is in the new revealed. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's exactly right. And I think that idea of shadow shadow versus um substance or reality is that's certainly a scriptural concept. Hebrews ten talks about the law being um the the shadow of the good things to come, and that's what they're really really getting at. Um so yeah, it before there's there's prophets, before there are sacrifices, there are things like um religious ritual. Um but so there's a difference, right? We don't have that anymore. But the things that are the same, or at least that are anticipated in this this section, Christ is still there. It's all about Christ, um, and salvation is still the same. It's a work of the Holy Spirit through the operation of the Holy Spirit to build the elect in faith, um, in in Jesus and what He would come to do. And in Jesus, whether you're under the law or the gospel, you have it says full remission of sins and eternal salvation. Um, that's really a, a really helpful declaration to make. Uh, you know, a lot of people want to know, um, did salvation change once Jesus came, right? And that's a really uh, understandable question. Um, you know, what about before Pentecost? Did people have the Spirit? Well, the Confession's letting us know here that, that Christ and the Spirit were both at work, were both instrumental in salvation um, ever since the fall. Um, it's just our the expression or our understanding of of how um, these members of the Trinity have worked or work in salvation that that has changed our our um, apprehension of the Spirit our our understanding of who the Messiah is all of that has developed. But mm. in terms of of what it means to be saved, Old New Testament it's the exact same thing. You have the faith in in God's promised Savior, and when you put your faith in Him. Four mission of sins. It's not like they had less forgiveness in the Old Testament. Right. And it, um, it, it, you know, for, for us, we look back upon the finished work of Christ. For them, they were always looking forward to the Messiah to come. Uh, it's, it's sort of like our hope in heaven. We look forward to a time where we can be in full communion with God. Well, that sort of was their hope in a coming Messiah who would deliver them for salvation. It, it, you're exactly right. The hope has always been the same. I, and I, I think of um, Galatians chapter 3 uh, that talks about how Abraham believed the gospel. 
uh, and that was his hope was mm-hmm. was a spiritual hope. It, it wasn't this idea that he could fulfill the law of God or anything like that, but that it was a spiritual reality of faith in a savior to come. Absolutely. Yeah. And John, John's gospel, right? Jesus says, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have Jesus indicating in so many ways that he's the substance of the Old Testament and the hope there. I mean, Luke 24, the resurrected Christ opens the, the disciples' eyes to, to show them how all the scriptures pointed to him. And, uh, and then you have the book of Hebrews, which I think is a wonderful connection in that as well and it gets at what the confession is saying here that this is for the time sufficient and efficacious these these uh the paschal lamb the the promises that were shadowy uh we don't go back to those anymore now that we have the fuller revelation of jesus christ um so those were great for the time but we're not going back and celebrating the passover uh because we have in greater clarity what we're supposed to do and in the next section we'll get into that yeah Good segue. Uh, number section six, under the gospel, when Christ, the substance, there's that distinction, shadow and substance, was exhibited, the ordinances in which this covenant is dispensed are the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which though fewer in number and administered with more simplicity and less outward glory, yet in them is it is held forth in more fullness, evidence, and spiritual efficacy to all nations both Jews and Gentiles, and is called the New Testament. Um, There are not, therefore, two covenants of grace differing in substance, but one and the same under various dispensations. So this section six is is answering this question. What's new about the new covenant? Which is a great, which is a great floor exam kind of question to ask ordinance and licentious. (laughs) What's new about the new covenant? So what would we, what would we say to that, Shane? Well, again, I think one of the best ways to think about it is think about how you would participate in the church of God if you were an Old Testament saint. Uh, you know, how would you have access to the presence of the Father? Uh, you would have to come through a priest who would literally sacrifice a, an animal for uh, your sins, who would mediate and pray for you. Uh, there was a, a tabernacle established and all these furnishings. It was a very, uh, with, with all kinds of symbolism, there was an altar of incense that would burn. Smoke was rising from the middle of the center of the camp all day long. Uh, very, very oriented around images, uh, you know, you senses, the, right? Senses, right. And then you come to the New Testament and the word is what is central. The word, which is God, who was with God in the beginning, uh, is what is preached and proclaimed. And the sacraments are administered, meaning the Lord's Supper and baptism. There is a plainness to this. There is a simplicity to this. Uh, it's almost as though, like, like what, um, you know, Colossians 2 and what we referenced already earlier says that, um, you know, the shadow of things to come for the body of which is Christ, meaning that the, the shadowy forms that all of these images uh, pointed to has been stripped away, and now the substance is there. Uh, but it doesn't look very glorious. It doesn't look really grand. Uh, it doesn't, uh, you know, you're not entering into a, a, a gigantic cathedral uh, in order to, or to enter into the presence of the living and true God, but a very simple 
uh, worship. And I think that's why what Andrew referenced earlier with the letter to the Hebrews, I mean, one of the main concerns of the author of the Hebrews is don't turn back to the Jewish way of doing things simply because it looks less glorious in Christ. Um, you know, there, there's this temptation to return to the shadowy forms because of their appearance. Yeah, Shane, you, you hit on all the points that I was going to hit, you know, that the Old Covenant had the sights and the smells that might have drawn the Hebrews back. You know, you had a priest that you could maybe see him putting your sins, so to speak, on the, the goat and having it borne away. But uh, the book of Hebrews is saying you have something greater. You have a, a high priest who sat down after he mm-hmm. did his work. And, you know, don't go back to the shadows when... Um, you have greater, brighter fulfillment in Christ. You know, in these past days, God's spoken uh, to his people through the prophets and all these other ways, but now he's spoken to us through his son. So you have the shadows that have given way to light. You can't go back to the shadows. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the clarity of the promises is seen in, in the inclusion of the Gentiles, you know, which was always part of the Abrahamic promise. And we're children of Abraham in the new covenant. Um, but you have that, you know, the gospel going out to all the nations, you have the Pentecost and and the speaking in, in the foreign tongue. So, you know, that's one of the ways in which uh, everything, the mystery is revealed and everything is more clear. Sorry, Jonathan, you, I cut you off there. Well, I was only going to say that, you know, it's not just about the, the author to the Hebrews is, is writing to a particular temptation of um, Jewish Christians of his day, right, to return to something that was really familiar to them. And that's not true for us anymore in the sense that there, there aren't people who are like, remember in the good old days when we used to sacrifice lambs? So that's, that's not a temptation. And yet a temptation to revert to a worship that is um, grandiose, showy, um, has, has the smells and bells, literally. We have entire church traditions that perhaps are not returning to um, worship under the old covenant the way it would have looked like for Israel back in the, um, you know, the, um, in the Old Testament. But at the heart of it, it's that same issue of wanting something that, that is showier, that, that there's something about the simple word in sacraments that must not, not give me everything I need. So I got to manufacture something. Mm. And so we're going to have, you know, the fog machine and the light show or, spritz in the holy water, whatever it is, you know, I mean, there's the whole spectrum of high church liturgy to kind of (laughs) low church, mainstream evangelicalism, pop worship, the whole thing, I think, but on either end of those spectrums, it's that same issue that's being addressed here in the confession. I don't know. Is that, is that unfair? What do you guys think? Oh, I I mean, go ahead, Andrew. Well, I was going to say to me, it's a reminder of Israel in book of first, second Kings, where they're worshiping in the high places, you know, let's, mm. let's make worship something accessible and easy for us. Um, you know, is that pilgrimage to the, the, the holy place, you know, that, that's a tough thing. So, you know, we, our hearts haven't changed. We, we like comfortable religion. So I think you're right, Jonathan. Yeah. Comfort, that's a good way to put comfortable religion. And yet that's to miss the whole point, right? Is that under the new covenant, this actually is more comfortable because there's less blood. You're, <laughs> You know, that's what, what makes it so much better, what makes it so much good, greater. I, I think uh, two things come to mind when I read this section. Less blood, more people, mm. right? It's not circumcision anymore. It's baptism, and it's all nations, Jews and Gentiles. Well, Men and women can receive the, the sign. Yep. Um, and then there's this, this last line, 
which maybe in one sense could have been its own little section, but there are not, therefore, two covenants of grace differing in substance, but one and the same under various dispensations. Oh, so the confession believes in dispensationalism, right? <laughs> well, it, it would articulate different administrations of the same covenant of grace. In other words, when uh, Christ or whenever Adam fell into sin, God made a promise that he would redeem a people, right? That he would crush the head of the serpent, uh, that he would bring forth a one from the seed of Adam to deliver all mankind. And that same promise in thread form uh, runs the whole way through the Old Testament into the New and finally with the culmination of Christ actually coming. Uh, and now it is that same promise that we in the New Testament church live out of. But uh, it looks different in different time periods. As you can tell, you know, when we talk about the Mosaic Covenant, uh, all you have to do is try to imagine entering the church under Moses or what would it be like to worship beside Abraham. Uh, these look different externally, uh, but the substance is always the same, namely Christ as their Savior. And again, I think of that passage that we, we mentioned already from Galatians, uh, that Abraham believed the gospel beforehand, uh, you know, clearly showing us that the substance has been the same. Uh, Abraham, who came even before the law, uh, a law that uh, Paul will go on further in Galatians to say, uh, did not undo that promise given to Abraham. Um, but yeah, I, this this particular um, line, it's a very important line because um, the theologians in the Reformed tradition uh, understand the different administrations of the covenant differently. Uh, there are many different ways people articulate and understand the different uh, time periods and how people came to God the Father. But as long as we hold to this one covenant of grace, uh, then you're within the bounds. How you parse out the details is left to the individual minister and listen to the individual congregant and their understanding of the way the church functions. Yeah, the, the, the main idea, though, is one Lord, one plan. One purpose, one people. Right. Uh, God doesn't need a plan B. He doesn't. He doesn't renege on his promises. Ever, ever since the beginning, Genesis three fifteen, there's that promise that the Messiah would come, and the rest of Scripture unfolds that. Um, the wonderful fulfillment of that promise. Well, thank you for uh, joining us for this look at the the covenant of grace under the administrations of the law and the gospel. I hope it was edifying for you. Uh, and tune in next time as we. Turn to chapter eight of the Westminster Confession and uh, take a look at Christ the Mediator. Bam! That was, that was, a, <laughs> that was tight. It was tight. That was good. Who's doing Way this? Way better one? than last time when we're like one step. <laughs> we, we were so tired last time. <laughs> <laughs> one step closer to death. <laughs>